Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Green Room. We're live from the Hertz Newark lobby. Nothing better than this. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for being here. Um, here with my awesome co-host, Bala Ashar and co-founder. Of course, our amazing producer, Elle. And we're going to do some introductions in reverse order. So we're going to ask everybody where they're coming in from and, of course, what they're talking about today. So, Matt, what are we talking about today and where are you coming in from? Yeah, so Matt Mayberry, I am calling in from Chicago, Illinois today, and we will be talking about uh, some ideas that I shared in my, my new book that was just released, Culture is the Way, How Leaders at Every Level Can Build an Organization mm-hmm. for uh, Impact, Speed, and Excellence. So I'm very excited to join you guys. Thank you, Matt. And of course, we have books in the background. Carol, where are we coming in from and what are we talking about today? And I'll introduce David as well in a bit. So go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm Carol Kaufman. I'm calling in from outside of Boston. And David and I have just written a book, you can see it in the background for him, called Real-Time Leadership, Find Your Winning Moves When the Stakes Are High, which is launching Tuesday, February 21st. Ooh, we get the special sneak peek here on Disrupt TV. David, where are you coming in from? I'm coming in from Miami and excited to talk to you about the uh, features of the book today. Thank you. Very, very awesome. Thanks for being here. Jack, where are you coming in from and what are we talking about today? Coming in from New York and our latest research at Accenture called Total Enterprise Reinvention. Ooh, can't wait to hear more about that. Well, back to you, Al. So let us know where we go what, and uh, do the honors. All right. Three, two, one. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants Wants to Rule the World. Ray's a regular television business and tech news contributor. You see him on Fox Business, on Finance, Bloomberg, CNBC. In my opinion, he's one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. With my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. He's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his tweets and when he's hosting you know, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, of course, posting insightful analyses such as this on ZDNet. But as you know, every week it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests. And who do we have to start today's show? We are. Uh, it's an honor for us to have Jack Azaguri, who serves as Accenture's Group Chief Executive for Strategy and Consulting. Jack leads the company's $15 billion. Right, that's a B. 15 billion strategy consulting service, which includes Accenture's leading industry and enterprise functions and applied intelligence, innovation, and corporate strategy practices. This is now a global team of more than 47,000 experts. Jack is a 26-year veteran of Accenture. He's a member of the company's global management committee. He's also a member of the board of directors of Partnership for New York City, where he works closely with business leaders dedicated to mobilizing private sector resources and expertise to advance New York City's standing as a global center for economic opportunity, upward mobility, and innovation. You can follow Jack on Twitter at J-A-Z-A-G-U-R-Y. Welcome, Jack, to Disrupt TV. Great to be here. Thank you for being here. Happy Friday, everyone. (laughs) Yes. 
happy Friday, you know, you know, nothing like a true road warrior here, right? Think about this. I'm in the back, I'm in the middle of a Hertz thing, but I want to know more about you. You're, this is your first debut here on Disrupt TV. And more importantly, I want to know more about, you know, how you got here, the role, what's happening uh, in terms of, you know, the you know, strategic services and things that you actually do in terms of strategy and consulting. So welcome. And yeah, tell us about your background and role at Accenture. I, uh, I'm a partner in the software industry, um, been with Accenture for uh, almost 27 years, uh, originally from the UK, grew up in France, but I've been in the US 22 years, this is home for me now. And um, as of uh, June of last year, I'm fortunate to lead our strategy and consulting business, which you described in the intro, uh, and uh, help our clients uh, reinvent themselves. That's what we're here to do, to drive value uh, in all aspects of, uh, of their business and help them reinvent themselves. That's amazing. Yes, your appointment was in June. I saw you at World Economic Forum at Davos, yeah. uh, you know, talking about reinvention, talking to government leaders, business leaders. Um, what if what can you share your experience since your appointment in June and now really collaborating? I mean, you, you were doing that already with some of the best and brightest business, government, private public sector leaders in the world. What what has the ride been since since your appointment? So it's been um it, it, it's an interesting business environment right now. And and if you turn on CNBC, the key question is, are we going into recession? Are we not going into recession? Mm -hmm. I actually think the more important question is you know, um, how to deal with volatility. When we look at volatility, and we, we, we did, did a disruption index across technology disruption, health disruption, economic disruption, you know, the war in Ukraine, we put seven, eight dimensions on a disruption index that we calculate. The last five years, that disruption index has gone up 200%, the threefold. The prior five years, it was flat 5%. And so the question in this environment is, how do you deal with uncertainty? How do you adapt the organization? It's very hard to have visibility as to what the economy is going to be doing in 3, 6, 12, let alone 18 or 24 months. And so how do you stay agile and adapt your business on the fly? And certainly we've seen where companies were a year ago is very different than where they are today in terms of what they're doing and how they're planning for the future. So dealing with uncertainty is really uh, has to become a core competency in this environment. Uh, ever since we, we entered, you know, COVID, it's been um, nonstop yeah. and uh, dramatic increase in volatility and disruption. For sure. For sure. Right. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that, right? And when we think about what's happening across the board, right, uh, you know, in, in the marketplaces, we're seeing like a big shift, right? Um, you know, at, at WEF, there's talking of a series of crises that were occurring, right? And we got massive crises that are happening, whether it's interest rates, inflation, infection, inventory, uh, you know, and invasion, they've all played a massive role in this kind of uh, shift. So, yeah, and in the middle of that, technology disruption continues to increase. And so, uh, in, in the research that we publish, you can find it on our website, Total Enterprise Remake, we, um, we ask companies, if we go into a recession, are you going to invest more or less in your invention in technology and digital? And 75% of companies say they're going to invest more. And the number's mm -hmm. higher in Europe, it's tad, tad uh, lower in the US, but it's still well over 70%. So companies look at this, a lot of uncertainty, but they've got the foot on the gas in terms of deploying digital technology and reinventing themselves. Companies know they can't stand still. For sure. First of all, I want to give kudos to your research arm um, and your publishing arm. You produce, Accenture produces fantastic reports. Uh, CHRO as a growth executive, fantastic report. Life trends in 2023, how people and businesses uh, interact and the power dynamics. But the total enterprise reinvention is your most recent report. And just for our audience, a definition per Accenture for total enterprise reinvention a deliberate strategy that aims to set a new performance frontier for companies and in most cases, the industries in which they operate. Centered around a strong digital core, it helps drive growth and optimize operations. Now in the report, again, enterprise reinvention, total enterprise reinvention, you talk about six characteristics. Reinvention is the strategy. The digital core becomes a primary source of competitive advantage. Reinvention goes beyond benchmarks, embracing, embracing the art of the possible. Talent strategy and people impact are central to the reinvention, not an afterthought. Reinvention is boundaryless, uh, boundaryless and breaks down organizational signals. And lastly, reinvention is continuous. I want to talk about the boundaryless and breaking down silos. Yeah. 
uh, a fantastic report. By the way, you, you include financial impact, you include technological speed to results. For example, 66% faster uh, uh, technology speed to results when you have these reinvention mindset and these six principles. But can you talk a little bit about the importance of breaking down silos? Yeah, if I may, can I, I'd like to back up on it. Thank you for reading the report. Uh, you've really, uh, 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 really absorbed it. But let, let me back up and then talk about the boundaries. But so, well, the years before COVID, a lot of companies were questioning whether technology was critical to the business. Then we went to COVID. That debate was over. Technology was critically important. Massive deployment of digital technology. We're now in a new wave that we think will will, will carry us for the next three years. Where, in order to compete and really transform technology has to be a core competency, no longer important, but a core competency to the business. And we see the technology evolution, you know, it has the opportunity to treat it as a core competency to really set a new bar and reinvent how you drive your business, how you operate the new pro products and services on platforms that you release. So it's a shift in performance and only 8% of the companies in the survey, you know, match the six criteria. Wow. Now, only 8%? Only 8%. Now there's wow. another 40% that want to get there. And so yeah. we see this as a wave that probably next three years around reinvention. Now, let's talk about uh, boundaries because you've touched on uh, one of the hard ones. These six criteria are hard to get right. Uh, a lot of companies, when they go to transform, they transform within business units, within functions. So let's go transform our supply chain or let's transform our marketing capability or let's do a finance transformation. And actually, the companies that get most value look at capabilities end to end. If we want to transform sales and marketing, we better have the supply chain team on board because product fulfillment is going to be critical to the customer experience. And by the way, we need to have our HR team on board because we need to look at the talent of our people. Do they have the right digital skills? And we might as well have, we, sh we need to have the finance team on board because we're going to look at how we report and how we understand financials end to end. And so companies are able to look at capabilities end to end, drive much more values than the one that transform an individual sales. And that's really hard. It's hard to do and to still keep agility because when you bring groups from different parts of the organization, it's very easy to get bogged down with slow decision-making and bureaucracy. So how do you bring a capability end-to-end -end across the organization and do it in a way that you can still make decisions at pace and stay agile? The other thing that you need to do is make sure your data is democratized across the enterprise. Yeah. A lot of companies, the data is very siloed. You know, I, I'm in marketing, I own the marketing data. I'm in sales, I own the sales data. The value of data, as you all know, with AI, it, you know, becomes exponential when you look at it enterprise-wide and democratize across the, across the company. And that, again, it's hard to do. So this is a hard one, but one that we believe is critical to unlocking the next level of value. And Jack, you've been doing this for 27 years. Do you feel yeah. in the last couple of years the importance of technology as a lever to grow and delight stakeholders? Is, now, is it a boardroom discussion now? Are CEOs really committed and, to making the right set of investments. Jack, I want, I want to add to that. I mean, can you even do it without a digital core? Correct. Wow. So, so yeah. And so the digital core, and I'll define digital core, the way we talk about it, it's, it's your cloud posture, it's your data, it's your AI, it's your core systems, your systems of records, it's your security that wraps around it. And it's the inter interoperability across those applications. And, and, and we, we call it digital core, it has to be a core competency. The C-suite has to view that investment in that mm -hmm. digital core as absolutely critical. And the interoperability is critical to be able to, you know, deploy digital solutions and fail fast, deploy at speed. Right? That's hard to do and a lot of companies are on the journey, but, but to your question earlier, um, in a lot of C-suites, technology is now a core topic. and. We actually believe for the reinventors that the technology acumen of the C-suite and of the organization is a key factor. Because unless the technology acumen is high, it's hard to see the out of the possible and say, okay, I understand enough about AI. I understand enough about the cloud. I understand enough the state of my applications to be able to say, if we do this, this, and this, we can achieve this in our business. So connecting business to technology requires very high digital acumen across the organization and a lot of companies investing in that right now. So, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, if you get your people right and your process right and your technology right and you even get your motivation right, 
Where it often fails is the board's not ready. How do you get boards prepared for maybe a loss in one or two quarters and being able to communicate that to the street or knowing that they have to make cuts before they can actually regrow or get into another area or, you know, even build, you know, alliances with sworn enemies and all that kind of fun stuff. Like, how do you set the mindset of the board so that they're ready? Because that seems to be a huge barrier in a lot of clients. I think it comes back down to the technology acumen of the C-suite uh, and the board. Do they understand technology? Do they understand the impact? Do you understand how it's applicable to business? Are they and, and this goes beyond doing a digital safari along the West Coast. That this is, this is. Are you really educated? And there's some companies that have deployed. You know, there's an oil and gas company. They they want to deploy AI mindset throughout the organization, and and they gamified it on an app. And then competed across department, including the CEO, and it was full transparent That's how awesome. these actors were performing on on taking the lessons, taking the classes, getting the tests, and they gamified it, and and the entire company, including the CEO, competing to get higher digital acumen. Uh, we also do it at Accenture. We deployed our technology quotient test. Everybody, all seven hundred thirty thousand of us, have to achieve a certain level of technology quotient. And it's part of our metrics as a global management committee that the board looks at that have we achieved you know i think follow we should test we should take that test see how poorly we do i know i know well listen ray if, if you and i if you and i ray were accenture employees in the last year or so hundred and fifty thousand of us would have been onboarded in the metaverse and we would have been exposed to the leading emerging technologies and it's a combination of technologies so i have no doubt that, that this incredible organization of 700,000 plus has the exact technology business acumen to lead transformation. Now, in my peak career, I think I led, I think, 470 people. You lead a group 100 times bigger than that. <laughs> so so uh, you're exposed, you and your team, 47,000 digital experts, you're exposed to all different size clients, all geographies, all industries, can you share some uh, examples of uh, innovation and transformation work that, that got you excited and got Accenture excited and can perhaps get our audience uh, excited about yeah, digital at the core? Let me, uh, let me touch on a few, uh, a few companies that we think are doing a lot of the six criteria right and, uh, and getting into this category of, of reinventors, either getting there or there already. Um, I'll touch on one that may not be as... Uh, commonly known, uh, certainly for the viewers here in, in the US, it's it's a company called Siam Commercial Bank, um, founded in 1906, the oldest uh, bank in Thailand. Uh, they went through a massive digital transformation effort, increased their app usage in very rapid order by 500%, deployed digital across the enterprise, moving into fintech uh, and, and investment, and, and now, um, you know, going into you know, a multi, multi-purpose app um, uh, to drive additional services in the market. It's just massive transformation. The oldest bank in Thailand now voted best bank in Thailand, wow. best bank in Asia. Wow. And, and the CEO and the team fully committed to taking an old bank and making it a fintech powerhouse uh, in, in the Asia Pacific region. So that's an example. Uh, there are many others that are that are transforming at pace, but that that's what I think uh, it's a very interesting case study of a complete digital transformation, the culture, the processes, the technology, the business model, the products and service, all of it. It's great to hear a 114-year-old company uh, going through this process, and then at the end, the impact is their name, the best bank. That's amazing. That's awesome. That also removes excuses. Because when a digital immigrant company, like my company is digital native, like born in the cloud, mobile, social, but many companies are digital immigrants. I'm an immigrant, by the way. Uh, so for a 114-year-old digital immigrant company to do that, that's awesome. That's okay. awesome. So what are the, you know, what are the questions and, you know, problem sets when people come to you and say, here's what I want to do to reinvent? Um, and and are, is, are, is, does the topic have to be big enough for it to make sense for that reinvention? Or can it even be small reinventions? Uh, the, the reinventions can be small. They can start in parts of the enterprise. They don't need, you know, size is, is, is not a critical factor. The question is, do you have the ambition to really push the envelope? And, and we talk about, you, you said, you know, beyond benchmarks. It, it, we use the benchmarks at the end of the year, the possible. Now, benchmarks are still important. You still want to know where your competitors are. Uh, but do you have the ambition to look at technology, to look at your business and really look at 
you know, doing it completely different. And, and we're all talking about chat GPT. I mean, AI is an inflection point. Uh, technology and business solutions now impact every part of the value chain, right? The, the evolution of software as a services of business applications now cover every part of the enterprise. It's come a long way in the last five years. So how do you match the technology to really push the barrier and to get to a much higher level of performance and not just look at your competitors through benchmarks? My, my, my final question to you, Jack, is, you know, leading a large organization, helping companies transform. What advice do you have for business leaders in general in terms of how they can maintain a beginner's mindset, stay curious, and at the same time, make sure that their investments lead to outcomes that can delight their customers and stakeholders, employees, customers, yeah. partners? I think this is the first criteria is which you read it reinvention is a strategy i think it's a it's a deliberate decision to reinvent the company it used to be when we talked about business transformation was the how reinvention is the what it's a strategy and that has to be a commitment from the top but but i'm, I'm i want to close on the one factor the one of the six criteria that actually is most critical when we look at the impact on performance that's talent and we've talked about the digital acumen of the c-suite we also need to look at the digital acumen of the organization because you want the ideas to come bottom up. And when you deploy digital technology, you want people to understand it and adopt it because the number one barrier to successful transformation is culture and people and, and, and not, not having the right you know, uh, education and training. Uh, but the other thing uh, th that I'll say on the people impact is having a very deliberate talent strategy, which is hard to do. And not just being a talent consumer, uh, but being a talent creator in the organization. Say, today, we have these skills and these th this talent. Where do we need to be in three years? And mapping that out, who are you going to hire? Who are you going to train? How are you going to train them? Where are you going to get the talent? And how do you build the people in your organization? Yep. That, that, to me, has to be at the center, especially in a world where, you know, talent is still you know, shortage of talent, shortage of great talent, and, and, and a huge need to develop skills in the organization. Skills are critical talent, and you need to treat them as such and, and map out that journey. That's how to do it. You know, despite being in a chat GPT world, a world of machine skill, human skill still matters. We're here with Jack Azaguri, Group Chief Executive Strategy and Consulting at Accenture. You can follow him on Twitter at jazaguri, A-G-U-R-Y. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Jack. You're terrific. That was awesome. <laughs> that was I great. think we got smarter. <laughs> I, I, I just can't imagine leading 50,000 people. Uh, it's just pretty awesome. Okay, speaking of awesome, we're going to talk about an amazing book. Our next guest, Dr. Carol Kaufman, assistant professor at Harvard Medical School, founder of the Institute of Coaching, and David Noble, leader, leadership coach and advisor. They're the co-authors of a new book titled Real-Time Leadership, Find Your Winning Moves When the Stakes Are High. Uh, Dr. Kaufman is known globally as one of the top leaders in the field of leadership coaching. She has been on the faculty of Harvard for 30 years. She started when she was 10. Uh, Thinkers 50 shortlisted Dr. Kaufman as one of the top eight coaches in the world. Eight, Ray. Uh, Marshall Goldsmith ranked Dr. Kaufman as the number one leadership coach in the world. Uh, Dr. Kaufman chairs the Harvard Medical School's annual coaching conference, uh, their most widely attended event, uh, and, and launched uh, the International Leadership Forum uh, series. You can follow Dr. Kaufman on Twitter at Carol Kaufman, C-A-R-O-L-K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. Welcome, uh, Dr. Kaufman. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And we also have David Noble, who's the founder of View Advisors, a consulting firm that works globally with CEOs, their teams, CXOs, board of directors, uh, investors, star athletes, Ray, maybe you can join uh, on leadership and strategy. <laughs> and David Noel is also he's a leadership coach and advisor on strategy. He was named by Thinkers 50 as one of the world's top coaches, was managing partner at Global Strategy Consulting Firm and a top executive, uh, including CEOs of the world's first digital bank. It's funny, we just talked about a digital bank. David's been consulting digital banks uh, and, and having incredible success as well. You can follow David on Twitter at D-S-E-N-O-B-L-A. L-E. Uh, welcome, Carol and David, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Ray. Thank you. Ray, you're on mute. 
Hey, thank you so much for being here. And one of the interesting things is there are a lot of leadership books and you guys have read and written so much about leadership. What is different about real-time leadership uh, and why do we need to know about this now? Well, one of the things about it is, so we are on Disrupt TV. What, what a surprise. And the book is absolutely geared to helping people with disruption and being disruptors primarily by being able to be super smart in the moment. And one thing that makes our book different from others, I'm going to quote Marshall Goldsmith, who basically said in our book, every chapter could be an entire book, that it's dense in a good way because wow. it is packed with lots and lots of information. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm smiling because uh, it just ties back to what Jack was talking about with the Accenture Volatility Index. So I remember in my very first job quite a while ago, I was writing a speech for the CEO and I said, we're in unprecedented times of volatility and uncertainty. So that's, that's certainly changed. So the premise of the book, which differentiates it, is that today, with all this uncertainty continuing to escalate, we need to make the most of every moment. So real-time leadership is about how do you make the most of every moment, whether it's making a split-second decision, whether it's working on something important this calendar quarter, or whether it's pursuing a long-term goal. So that's why it's different. Yeah, the book says the best leaders in the biggest moments know how to read the situation, respond in the most effective way possible, and move forward. And that's what you learn from the book. So, so how do you make the most of every moment? Is there a framework, uh, you know, are there certain traits that you need, muscles you need to develop as a leader in order to, you know, have that sense and response fine-tuned to deliver real-time leadership? Well, first, what we find is that most really good leaders tend to make the most of every moment by pattern recognition that they've built up over years of experience. So if they see A and if they see B, kind of instinctively know that C is the right thing to do. But that's relying on your reflexes, literally. And that works okay in an unchanging environment, a day-to-day -day operating environment, which we haven't been in before for quite a while. So it also doesn't help you get any better as a leader. So what we wanted to do is make the most of every moment by being able to face up to either a novel type of crisis where your old playbook won't work, or to look at even a 10x kind of opportunity that's being created by disruption that's of a scale and scope that you haven't seen before. And Carol can describe how we actually do that, how you make the most right. of every moment. Yeah, and Carol, how, how does that work, right? And, and tell us a little bit more about, I believe it's the MOVE framework. Uh, what is in MOVE? Okay, so one of the basic foundations in our thinking really comes from Viktor Frankl, who says, you know, making a, there's a space between stimulus and response and in that you find your freedom. Okay, that's great, but then what do you do with that once you have found it? And what we have done is we've created this um, framework of frameworks. So there's about a hundred frameworks behind what we do, but we came up with an acronym called MOVE, M-O-V-E, and that's to help you find the winning moves when the stakes are high. So M is to be mindfully alert, you know, mindful, open, not judging, but alert like an athlete and we can talk about alert to what in a, in a minute. And then to be an options generator, um, following up on research that there needs to be four pathways to any goal and HBR, um, we have an article on HBR this month about that. So mindful alert, options generator, V, validate your vantage point. Um, some massive amounts of business failures are due to over-optimism. Are you getting your vantage point right? And then E is to engage and effect change. So that's the M-O-V-E. Each one of those is a tip of an iceberg. And and uh, how much, uh, how, you said valid, validate vantage point. Yeah. How much self-awareness is required <laughs> to be able to um, have enough contextual intelligence so that you can validate vantage point? You know, Ray and I work with lots and lots of CEOs, CXOs. The higher you go, the, it, the, 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 the harder it is to perhaps accept change. I, I don't want to generalize, but it feels like uh, in a highly turbulent world, experience can actually be a liability. Uh, um, but so can you talk about certain traits like humility, uh, empathetic listening? What do these leaders need to do to be able to move um, in real time? David? 
I'll kind of take one part of that and then Carol can take the other part. So just in terms of vantage point, what we believe in order to be an effective leader is that you have to make sure that your vision is as clear as possible so that mm -hmm. you're not distorting things based on your personality, your beliefs, your assumptions, even the type of data that you choose to look at and not choose to look at and the frameworks that you've got. So, you know, are you seeing things at the right altitude? Are you seeing things with the right um, level of granularity or in perspective? Um, and are you making sure you don't have blind spots? So those all are required in order for you to be able to step into someone else's perspective and value that perspective and, and understand what's going on. So self-awareness is a huge part of that. And then I think related to that, we have a concept around character strengths and values, which Carol can elaborate on in terms of what's essential to a leader. So I'm gonna flip it around a little bit. <clears throat> so you were saying that, um, you know, we, we do need character strengths, et cetera, but you were talking about, gee, the higher up you go, the harder it is to change your mind. Why? And that's because with the, David and I've worked with a number of CEOs of some gigantic organizations. And um, basically, they are under the kind of pressure that would crush an ordinary person. So if, if you're working with them, if you want them to have mind space, right? If we're going to create space, you have to create safety. So when I'm working with a leader, and let's say they need to change a lot, the first thing and the second and the third and the fourth thing I'm doing is helping that leader feel safe going over for vantage point to go over the bridge to where they are, see the world as they do. And then you can step back step by step. So first they need to be able to feel safe and then they can create that space to think and to think about the, one of the things is the three dimensions of leadership that everything they do you know, has to be around what they need to do, who they need to be, how they need to relate. But if they can feel safe enough, then they can start questioning things and, you know, and take on a board, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's really exciting about this is that, I mean, we have different styles of leadership to get folks there. But what you're talking about is taking that and elevating it to a different level, right? Because most people have gotten there through playbooks or through going through the same uh, approaches, right? They've got a pattern uh, that helped them, you know, get to a winning strategy for them. Uh, but we talked about volatility, right, earlier. And the more volatile the environment, um, it gets harder to figure out what pattern, what playbook that's there. And it sounds like you guys are saying there's a another way to solve this problem. Um, don't take what you had before and try to force fit it into the model. Let's go be more aware about what the new model looks like and actually chart a new path. That sounds scary to almost every CEO we know. How do you get them out of that process? So I think, you know, Carol was talking about the three dimensions of leadership and we believe that you have to have all three dimensions literally to be a whole person and a whole leader. So you have to be crystal clear on what you want to get done then who you want to be as a person while you're leading and then how best to relate. So that's the what. So how you get there happens in what we call the options generator. And so we're recognizing that with today, given you know the Accenture volatility index, that there's so many curveballs and obstacles that can be thrown at you. What we find is that most really good leaders, do they do have a way towards a win, right? They figured out a pathway to win. But with everything that could be thrown at you, you need what we call way power. So you need more than one way to win. You need a backup to your plan. You need a backup to your backup and so on. So we help you to figure out how do you create those options so that you've got multiple pathways to a win in the face of uncertainty. That's the options generator uh, yep. piece. Yeah. And, and yep. is it situational planning? Can you talk a little bit more about the option generator? Sure. So the whole thing is, again, when you're in disrupting times, when you are disruptor, do you want to be a disruptor? You do need to overcome your reflexes. So what are your reflexes? The main reflexes are fight, flight, freeze, and befriend. And we tend to default to one. We've translated these into, in any situation, when something's being thrown at you, do you lean in and engage? Do you lean back and look at the data? Do you lean with and nurture? Or do you have the capacity to not lean at all and to not be triggered? And what we do is you can apply this to the external demands, whether it's a merger and acquisition 
or to your own growth and development or to how you're relating to other people. But if it's in your being like that, like an athlete, you know, with tennis player, the stance that you take. So these are four stances. So for anything, how can you quickly run through which stance is best in this situation? So it's like situational leadership on steroids in fluid real time. That's our next guest is a former linebacker for the Chicago Bears. So we need a book club, Ray, because we want to exchange books. I'm sure he's listening intently and absolutely like relating to everything you said. Yeah, we've heard from running backs in our day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very cool. Oh, there you go. Awesome. So, so what practical advice? Uh, you know, I'm sure our next guest, you know, hit the gym and had a, a you know speed and conditioning coach and every day practice practice. Uh, certain moves, certain disciplines in order to be a linebacker at the pro level. What can the CXOs that watch Disrupt TV, are there certain things they can start tomorrow, next week, practical applications that allow them to be, uh, Bobby Knight used to say, uh, coach of the Hoosiers, uh, because our next guest played for Indiana University, um, be in a position to be in position to score. So what can our leaders, how can they get into position to effectively apply real-time leadership? Okay. Um, I have a challenge for you. This is what you can do right, right away. So we talked about the three dimensions of leadership, what you need to do, who you need to be, how you need to relate, and then the four stances. So he, it's all about the reps. And David could talk a, a bit about this. What I would like, by the way, you know, Ray, Vala, Jack, I'm talking about you, as well as every single person listening, I want you to do the following. Today or tomorrow, I want you to ask yourself, who do I want to be right now? I mean, right now. And who you need to be at the beginning of conversation may be very different from who you need to be 10 minutes later, depending on your goal. So who do you want to be right now? So for example, okay, um, you're at the airport and your plane is late and you're really late for something and you are about to get cranky. Okay, who do you want to be right now? You know, who do you want to be right now? And so try that. <laughs> when I, when I, Mother Teresa. <laughs> Mother Teresa, yes. Hard. Commons, then, try yes. that. It's an it's a split second thing because we we this is how to be agile in no extra time. How often do real time leaders ask that question of themselves? Is it a daily, oh. weekly, monthly, quarterly ritual? That's a that's a great question. I think that this is something. So one of our thought partners is a retired four star general. Uh, Chuck Jacoby. And his point is, you know, David and Carol, it's all about the reps. So it is all about the reps. So at the beginning, for example, um, Carol's discussion of the four stances, do I lean out? Do I lean? Do I lean back? Do I lean in? Do I lean with? Do I not lean? That's something you start to practice. You practice that over and over and over and over again until it becomes part of you. And then you don't actually have to ask the question anymore because you're living it. Muscle the memory. same thing with, you know, who do you want to be right now? If that's top of mind and you practice over and over and over again, that will become part of you. It'll become every question. You don't even have to explicitly ask it to yourself. You just know in real time that you're doing it. So our hope for everybody is sometimes you can rise to real-time leadership. It would be extraordinary if you could be a real-time leader all the time and do this. Wow. So that's our hope. That sounds tiring. <laughs> but then again, <laughs> coming from, you say that, coming right, from a general who leads the Northern Command. I'm in Boston, uh, so I used to root, and I still do, with the Boston Celtics. Larry Bird was the, one of the best free throw shooters of all times. He mm. would shoot 300 free throws before every game. Mm. And so the muscle memory, so he became – I, don't know, I can't say real-time free throw shooter, but, you know, it, it, he could do it with his eyes closed. He could do it left and right hand. It, you know, so it is tiring, but there is no shortcut to real-time exceptional work, I suppose. So, so go ahead, Ray. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to. Don't worry. I was, I, was, I was thinking in the back of my head, it would be fun to have General Jacoby here talking about balloons, but we won't do that. Anyways, no, hey, no. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that, exactly. that is real-time leadership, right? I mean, we've seen great leaders. They do play different roles, right? Sometimes they're responsible. Sometimes they're responsive, right? Sometimes they come across super disciplined, right? And other times they're like very flexible, right? And you don't 
necessarily have to operate in one rigid model. Sounds like in this right time leadership conversation, right? Some folks are super passionate, right? And some poor folks are very measured, right? And I guess mm -hmm. it's okay for us to play different roles in different scenarios because it seems like, you know, every leadership book I read, it's like, this is the one thing and you should all be like <laughs> this. And, and the reality is like, I hope not. <laughs> so uh, is that the message we should it's, be walking away from this? It's situational. You need to cultivate agility and you need to be able to kind of read the room. What do I need to get done? Who do I need to be? How do I need to relate? And, and there are some core values that probably stay here, like integrity doesn't go away, right? You know, you probably have some core values that don't change, but then the ability to modulate there creates this right time leadership approach. Yeah. And being very responsive. We talked about being, you know, mindfully alert, like, like an athlete, and then to do the reps like an athlete, because I think that that's really the core of leadership, but it's really overcome your ego, really do what is best for the larger good. And that's where sort of at times don't lean, like, let's say you're leaving up, you're doing a big meeting and someone's sneering at you, let it go. Like, let it go. You want to make the most of every moment and you don't want moments to be meaningless because many opportunities fly by you, you know, a hundred, two thousand a day. Pick out the ones that you can make the most of. Uh, my final question to you, as you advise these incredible CXOs of the largest companies in the world, um, which, which question of the triangle is the hardest to, to fine tune? Is it how they relate? Uh, is it is it who they want to be? Is there is there is there one that requires a little bit more reps and a little bit more discipline to get right? Yeah, which D of the three really D's should I go on? on? Well, look, it, it's going to depend on who you are as a person because we all know some leaders who are very results oriented, but they roll over their people. We know people who are wonderful servant leaders who want to help others, but they can't hold them accountable. And we know these great subject matter experts who don't know how to relate to other humans. So those are all one or two dimensional leaders. So usually we're good in one or two of those areas and less good in others. And so you just got to make your choice. You know, if you're a results oriented person, maybe you need to pay more attention to people. And that's going to require some work. If you're a people oriented person, maybe you need to pay more attention to results. That's great. Wow. Thank you so much. I think this is going to be so helpful, especially given where we are today, uh, where Thank we you. are in a confluence of crises of interest rates, inflation, infection, inventory, invasion, a lot of chaos. And leaders are trying to look for a North Star or at least some way to be more aware. Mm -hmm. We're here with Carol Kaufman, assistant professor of Harvard Medical School, founder of the Institute of Coaching, and Daniel Noble, leadership coach and advisor. You can follow him on Twitter at Carol Kaufman and at DS and DSE Noble. Thank you so much for being on the show. Congratulations Thank on the book. Thanks. 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 Thanks for the preview. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Buy the book. Buy the book. Yes. yes. Buy the book. Absolutely. Buy the book. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Right here. <laughs> okay. Well, we only bring like star athletes and amazing authors and speakers to, to disrupt TV. And typically our last guest, you know, hits a grand slam. That's a bad analogy with our next guest, but I'm trying to, well, it's not a Hail Mary, you know, that touchdown. Uh, but our next guest is Matt Mayberry, uh, author of Culture is the Way, how leaders at every level build an organization for speed, impact, and excellence. Matt is an Kick internationally acclaimed- Touchdown. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Matt is an internationally <laughs> acclaimed, forget about the sports analysis, you stink at it, right? Matt is an internationally acclaimed keynote speaker and leading global expert in leadership development, cultural change, and organizational performance. His insights on leadership and business performance have been featured in Forbes, Fox Business, Business Insider, Fortune, NBC, ESPN, and many other major news outlets. His clients include Fortune 1000 companies like J.P. Morgan Chase and major government institutions like the FBI. Prior to becoming uh, an in-demand keynote speaker, author, and management consultant, Matt was a linebacker for the Chicago Bears. So he could lift, he could bench press more than Ray and I combined. <laughs> As a linebacker playing for Indiana University, Matt received the Howard Brown Award given to a player who exemplified leadership, courage, and work ethic. You can follow Matt uh, on Twitter at Matt underscore Mayberry, M-A-Y-B-E-R-R-Y. Welcome, Matt, to Disrupt TV. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really glad to be here. 
Hey Matt, sorry about the bad sports analogies. Uh, yeah. we, we obviously are, are, are out of touch. <laughs> no, but no, I love them. I love them. <laughs> Ray's a great skier. Other than that, I'm not really sure his athletic so. abilities. <laughs> But hey, we're happy to have you here. And, and you know, culture has become so important. I think many of us have seen the Glassdoor survey that said over 50% really felt that culture, culture was more important than pay. And, and that was quite as stunning to us. Why is that the case? What has changed, right? I just remember like getting the most expensive, you know, most highest paid job was the goal. And now people are talking about culture. Yeah, you know, Ray, and I'll still say that, I mean, culture, I mean, pay is obviously very important, right? You know, I think that anyone that would say otherwise is massively mistaken. But I think that what what we've seen over the past couple of years uh, is really not only the importance of culture, but also that employees all across the world are yearning for a better, healthier culture that uh, really invigorates them. You know, I, I think everybody wants to go to work every day, feels that they're working towards a mission that is much bigger than just profit and helping the organization achieve its mission. You know, people want to be connected to a purpose that is deeper than that. They want to be connected to a, you know, a workplace environment where they can grow to become a better version of themselves and also be impacted in their personal life. You know, I think that's what the best organizations do. And I think that's why that Glass Story survey, uh, you know, I, I heard recently that culture is how you feel about going to work on Sunday night. Ah, you know, culture that. is, you know, you know, it, so it. that internal feeling you have, you know, and, and that's why they say heart attack rates are the highest Monday morning. You know, and I, I fully firmly believe it's because of, of so many people that go to work, you know, with jobs and purposes and missions that aren't connected to their their very fabric. Um, so I think that's why, Ray, it's, uh, you know, that's why it's becoming more and more telling, I think, as time continues to move on here. I love that definition. Uh, when people would ask me about culture, when I was a people manager, I would say culture is what happens when the managers leave the room um, in yep. the absence of authority. Do people do the right thing for the right reason at the right time for the right person? And if you can create an environment where people have the autonomy to to and the proper training and the proper uh, recognition and award system, then you motivate individuals to to be to be their best. Um, so, what are some of the pain points that you see your clients again from J.P. Morgan to the FBI? You've worked with the biggest companies that have had Herculean efforts trying to change and cultivate a culture. Are there certain one or two pain points that come to mind? You know, I would say a number, there, there's really two that really stick out. And obviously we could sit here for hours and talk about all yeah. of them. But I think the first two that are really the biggest for me and the most glaring, I think regardless of sector, you know, really almost every workplace at some point in time has struggled with these two proponents. And, you know, that first one is a halfway in, halfway out leadership team. Uh, you know, I feel like that if you don't have a committed leadership team that is, you know, deeply committed and they're embedding everything that they do on a daily basis towards building a better workplace culture, but also connecting the culture to the strategy. Yeah. Right. And we'll, we'll kind of talk more about, you know, that and the importance of that. Um, but I think that that's it, it's such a crucial and critical aspect of building a great culture uh, and really one of the big pain points, because if you don't do that, if you don't have a committed leadership team that is also connecting the culture and strategy, then you're going to have, which leads to my second point, uh, which is fluff, you know, and, and I'm, what I mean by fluff is, uh, you know, so many people have a, a skewed perspective of what culture is, you know, culture is not, you know, I get to wear shorts to work every day. Culture is not, uh, I'm not challenged and held accountable by my manager uh, and culture is not supposed to make everybody happy. You know, culture is yes, to build a better workplace environment, but it's also to help fuel that organization to achieve its strategy and win out in the marketplace. Uh, so I think those two common pain points uh, drastically paralyze an organization's ability to actually build a great culture, but most importantly, sustain a great culture. Wow. You know, we just came back from an um, amazing Super Bowl uh, this weekend. I mean, you know, you saw the culture of two different teams coming at it. Uh, you've probably took a lot from your experiences uh, as an NFL linebacker uh, and, and more importantly, seeing how businesses operate. There might be a lot of analogies. Um, Tell me, tell me what is important to make any business culture as strong as a winning sports team? Oh, I mean, you know, to segue into that, I mean, what a, what a fantastic Super Bowl. You know, I think that, that that was probably one of the better Super Bowls in a long time, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but I think it is such a great comparison is, you know, two very different teams in different phases. Uh, but, you know, you saw their, their world-class cultures kind of come to light there. And I think to answer that question specifically – 
I think it's really what helped fueled me to go make that transition from football into the business world. Hmm. Um, because I saw firsthand the importance of having a defined culture. You know, and, and what I mean by that is if you stop a group of 20 employees on the side of the street that work at the same exact organization and you ask them, what is your culture at this particular organization? Nine times out of 10, you're going to get 20 different answers and responses, right? But when you go and ask the Philadelphia Eagles or the Kansas City Chiefs or the New England Patriots when they were dominating and creating a dynasty, you know, what great football coaches do is they understand the significance and real impact and power of having a defined culture. What we believe, how we are going to behave every single day, whether the leader or CEO is in the room or not, and what is that belief and behavior really going to help fuel and inject our strategy out in the marketplace to help us fulfill our mission? You know, so I, you have to have that defined culture and, and it's getting very critical on that. What is that? What does that look like? And how does that really help us and accelerate our execution from everything that we want to do from both our human capital standpoint, but also, you know, financial capital and everything that you want to do from an organizational perspective? I, I, my son and I just watched Remember the Titans a couple of days ago and the One of my favorites. point. Yeah, it's 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 definitely in my top three. Uh, you know, Hoosiers uh, and uh, remember the Titans. And lately, I saw Hustle, uh, 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 Adam Sandler basketball movie, which was pretty awesome. But 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 you know, the tipping point was when the two star athletes bottoms up challenged each other and challenged the players. So it was a combination of a top down and a bottom up approach in terms of instilling that mindset of excellence and purposeful. A mission-driven approach, which ultimately led to an undefeated season. You describe a top-down, bottom-up approach to culture. When is it best uh, to use each? You know, I think, um, you know, great question. I think your previous guest that we're talking about situational leadership, you know, I think that directly applies to also, you know, a situational understanding of kind of culture dynamics and, and also leadership and bringing that to the forefront. And what I mean by that is, you know, the top-down approach is, I'm not talking about command and control. You know, that leadership style is completely outdated. It's, it's done and over with. You know, right now, what I mean by, you know, as far as being top-down as it relates to building culture is in the very beginning, just like, you know, Carol and David were talking about, you know, leaders have to have that vision. Well, leaders also have to have the vision and set the trajectory of what is our culture for this organization. Yeah. You know, what role does it play? What does that look like? And how is it going to help and fuel uh, you know, our ability to execute. So that has to be top down. No one else can do that. You know, so that's why the leaders have to be fully committed. There has to be a defined culture. And then you also have to connect that culture to a purpose. You know, how does that culture connect to your personal purpose, but also our organizational purpose? And the bottoms up approach is what you've mentioned with the Adam Sandler movie and also probably every other sports movie that you've ever seen is... <laughs> You Dodge know ball. you have a great culture, <laughs> except dodgeball. I don't know well, about that. that one had that, that had some that had some life lessons there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but the the best leaders and 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 really the best football coaches, and I saw this, they do a phenomenal job of setting the vision, being very clear in that, and it's a compelling vision. Everyone gets excited for it. They're not trying to sway people. They're able to articulate it in a way that is and just a uniquely compelling. Uh, but on the flip side of that, after that, it's a working progress to go get your best players, to go get your star performers, to go get your great managers, and to yep. get your great salespeople, your great operational people. And then how can they start engaging people's hearts and minds? Because like you've seen, the, remember the Titans, the Adam Sandler movie, you know, when, yeah. when you have that domino effect of people being engaged from a heart and mind perspective, and that really comes from not the leadership team, it may start there. But you're really going to go and cross that finish line when you have others in the organization who are very well respected, who are high performers, and they're carrying that load as well. So top down in the very beginning, leaders have to set that vision for the culture. And then it's an engaging the heart and mind process as far as the culture then has to be cultivated from the bottom up perspective. God, we're thinking like Newt Rockney, Tom Landry, you know, Ted Lasso. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, but yeah. Ted Lasso, um, <laughs> don't say kidding. He's amazing. I get a half a dozen <laughs> life lessons per episode from Ted Lasso. He's awesome. I agree. He's awesome. But can I, can I, can I just say, is it, is it, is it, is it, that, I can sense the intensity in you. Like, even if I didn't know you, you, you sound and act and speak like a D1 <laughs> athlete, pro athlete. There's, 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 no, I'm just saying there's an intensity, there's purpose, yeah, purpose. Very articulate. And, and, and so 
um, you know, uh, it, 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 how much, how much sport, playing sports, being a teammate, keeping score, like you know when you won and you lost, you know when you contributed to the victory or you fouled out of the game or you missed a tackle, you missed a sack or whatever, ran the wrong route. How much of that is missing in business? Because frankly, is there a balanced scorecard in business that measures culture? Like you have in an athlete where you get the points, the rebounds, the assists, the fouls, everything is measured. So you know where you stand. There's high level of radical transparency in terms of accountability as an athlete. I don't feel businesses are run like athletes performing at the highest level on the field. And, and I believe books like yours is going to help us remember when we did play sports, and for Ray and I, that's decades ago, that there is a certain level of importance and urgency in keeping score in order to keep a healthy culture. It doesn't happen by accident. It has to be very deliberate. You know, Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, funny thing on that. So one of my really good friends, uh, his name's Eric Bowles, uh, you know, he always said, and I, I really believe this to the, to the depth of my soul, that some of the even best ran organizations in America today are probably still not ran than some of the worst NFL teams. Yeah, I, 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 I you I know, think about that. that for, you know, I would agree like with so, some of the most even 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 above average, you know, whatever you want to, yeah. you know, best or above average. They're, yeah. they're more than likely probably still not ran better than the worst NFL franchise. And, and the reason for that is because of what you just said. I mean, not only is it very prescriptive and everything's, you know, filmed, everything's analyzed, everything's tracked, uh, everything that you do from practice to film room study to how you prepare to, you know, yeah. your mindset, your perspective, your med- I mean, everything is tracked. And, and there's also continual coaching. There's ongoing development. There's ongoing meeting with your position coach. And when you look at all the, you know, kind of intrinsic and even extrinsic, you know, factors of what makes a great football player and a great football organization and franchise, uh, I would agree with that. But I, there are so many great organizations that do a phenomenal job at that. But I can just give you a quick, you know, kind of overview of what sports have meant to me in the business world and how much I think that they go kind of hand in hand. Um, like your previous guests, way smarter than me, right? Like everyone on the every show is smarter probably, than me. Everyone. That's, that's every, a fact. Yeah. <laughs> Me too, you know, and, and probably all the guests you've had. Um, and, and I deeply admire that, you know, but I think the one thing that I've been able to do and why I've been able to even be successful and have the, the kind of experiences I have in the business world without an MBA, parents didn't have a business, is because what I've learned from those great football coaches, what I've learned about being in the trenches with, you know, understanding teamwork and culture and how you behave daily, not just when you feel good. Um, and I think that, you know, the more organizations that can understand that, uh, because I think what happens is this, as it relates to the topic we're talking about here, mm-hmm. is that too many organizations try to get cute. You know, like they, they try to factor in some accountability or human capital aspect with some new digital platform. It's clunky. It's not rolled out properly. That clogs the process. People get frustrated. Then they just want to stay away from it. You know, where, where the best NFL teams, you know, what they do is they use the human uh, and it, like when I mentioned the heart and mind perspective, you know, where we're, it's, it's people focused, it's people centered coaches meeting with players, players meeting with players. It's always one-on-one face-to-face that human interaction that really creates the transformation out on the field. Um, and I think that there's obviously, obviously a very important factor for the nuances of technology and adding that to people development processes and everything that you do from an organizational perspective. Uh, but I think when, when you try to get too cute with it, you know, I think you have to get back to the basics. You know, common sense is not always common practice. And I think the organizations that win and the best football teams that win continually and can create dynasties, they do the little things better than everybody else. 100%. And that is coaching. That's one-on-one. That's tracking. Uh, that is measuring the human uh, elements of culture. You know, one of the biggest complaints I get is, Matt, you can't track culture. You know, how we manage our financial capital, you know, we can't do that with culture. Well, when you look and dig a little bit further and you ask, well, what are you currently doing to even have the conversations? Are you having even an equal amount of conversations about your human capital and people development and culture as much as your finance conversations? Nine times out of 10, that answer is no. Totally. So you, they don't even have the intentionality. So it's not about we can't measure it. I mean, you have to first have the intentionality to have those conversations. Hey, Matt, real quick. This is a great time for a book, by the way. Great time. Every business. 
every business is struggling with the topic that you wrote about. So go ahead. And you probably are amazingly busy for sales kickoffs for the next eight weeks, right? Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is a hot topic as we get back to more performance, we get back to more quantitative uh, measures, we get back to merit. Uh, I mean, that's going to be an important thing. Um, I noticed something in the book that was really interesting, something people may not have thought about, and you might not be able to get to all five of them, but talk a little about the roadblocks people face in trying to create this kind of culture. Maybe pick one and, and let's just go deep on that. Yeah, so, you know, I, I love talking about this, you know, and I think it, the reason why is because, you know, there, there's way more than just five roadblocks. And, and when I wrote this book, the, the really idea and goal of this particular section was to, you know, look at the research, look at the data and, and look at all those points from that perspective, right? But then also on the, in the front lines, in the trenches, like what am I, for the people who are actually in charge of constructing culture, cultivating culture day in and day out, that are leading cultural transformations, that are going through merges, you know, what, what is, what are their common pain points? And through, you know, over hundred and, you know, hundreds of conversations with frontline managers and executives at all levels in every sector, you know, without a doubt, without a doubt, that very first one uh, is lukewarm leadership buy-in. And, and the reason why I use the word, word lukewarm is kind of like what I, I hit on in the very beginning, you know, as far as halfway in, halfway out. And I use the perfect example of when I worked with an organization where so many of the leadership team, there are about 25 members on the leadership team in this particular organization. Um, and, you know, what you had, though, is you had two of the most prominent and probably most impactful and influential leaders they were the ones that were halfway out. They didn't understand the importance of culture. They didn't understand how it would connect wow. to the strategy. They, they were kind of stuck in their ways. So what you saw was this dynamic of about 18 senior leaders with 20, 30 years of experience that were all in and committed, but just two, two leaders that were halfway in, halfway out. And they never got that momentum until about probably five, six months in when we did so much work with that executive senior leadership team. Of, of understanding the, the underlining factors of how important it was being vulnerable and very transparent. And why are we doing this work? Why is it important? And, and this is not just to make people feel good. This is to accelerate the execution of our strategy from an organizational perspective. So that, that very first one, Ray, is, is lukewarm leadership buy-in because I, I can't trust it enough. Uh, you can have all the great intentions in the world, but if you do not have a deeply committed senior leadership team, you are doomed. And I think you see that all across the board, you know, in the country, you know, is that maybe shareholders put pressure on to build a better workplace. A company has bad retention rates. Uh, they, they may have struggled with attracting top talent. So they say the right things. But the real question is, are the leaders modeling and blazing the trail yeah. forward every single yeah. day? Yeah, you can suit up and get on the field. But if you're not going to dive, if you're not going to get mud on your cleats in your jersey, then and if, if, I, if I were those two, I'd be worried about you tackling me. So I'm, I don't know how they're not engaged. I mean, I love the, I love the focused intensity in your message. You, again, I can tell. I mean, that is, I mean, to be honest with you, when I, you know, and this isn't about me, but I feel like when, you know, that is part of my job, I think, in the very beginning of, yeah, of, of trying absolutely. to inspire, yeah, you know, inspire. Because a lot of times I'm working with, you know, executives who, you know, they have 30 variants and, and, and they may think that the new workplace shifts and dynamics have changed, but they still don't understand the importance of culture. So in the very beginning, my first job is to inspire a greater enthusiasm to start building culture and placing it front and center just as much as you do your strategy. Oh, I love it. First I principles catch, still I want matter. Catch one of your speeches live. Go ahead, Rick. We got to yeah, catch yeah. one of his speeches. First principles still matter. And yeah. I guess go to bears. Anyways, Matt Mayberry, <laughs> author of Culture is the Way. You can catch him at Matt underscore Mayberry. The book just came out February 1st, 2023 on Wiley. And of course, check it out wherever books are sold. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks great. so much for having me, guys. You're terrific. I love that. You know, I got to tell you, Ray, I have had the privilege of working with D1 athletes, semi-pro athletes. And I'm telling you, they bring a certain special sauce to business, but just to life, but in business. Some Look of the, at the some magic, of the, right? I mean, we're not even yeah, in person yeah. and you could feel it, you know? No, I, I've had the privilege of leading athletes and I got to tell you, when I look at my direct reports throughout my career, the ones that excelled at varsity D1 college, they were the ones that were uh, reliable, they had high integrity, and uh, they made no excuses. 
you know, yeah. it's just excuses of bricks used to build a house of failure. And these yeah. folks were absolutely accountable for every, including accountable for their team success. Anyway, that was awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, before I ask you to recap, because no. <laughs> Jack, Carol, David, uh, and, and Matt were amazing. Uh, next week is episode 312. We have Gar Ponette, Chief Impact Officer at Ripley and host of Multi-Universe Podcast. We have Mark Golston, MD, oh, yeah. MG100 coach, founding member of Newsweek Expert Forum. And we have Aaron DeSmet, author of Deliberate Calm. Deliberate Calm. Ray, in less than 30 seconds, summarize if you can, the 200% <laughs> volatility that Jack mentioned to the importance of the triangle, starting with who do you want to be? And of course, <laughs> performing like an athlete, building an amazing culture. I feel like it's freaking fracking. I'm like stump the chump time. Um, <laughs> so it's awesome, right? Jack set the stage talking about really what's important strategy today. And I think a lot of it really is the fact that we haven't been thinking about strategy in terms of a reinvention. Reinventors are a different class. And I think they could all learn from some of these leadership examples we have here, right? I mean, both Carol um, and uh, Dave, David basically helped us rethink this notion, right? I, if you look back, remember, I think one of the uh, Davos forums we went to was really really about responsive and responsible leadership, right? And, and I'd put together a dynamic leadership framework that seemed like this, but this is 10x better in articulation, right? Really getting to right time uh, leadership. Notice how it wasn't real time, it was right time. It was contextual, responsive, bouncing, uh, res responsive, uh, responsive being uh, sort of reflective, right? Uh, and, and being able to understand how that comes together. And then I think, you know, the, the, the piece here really, you know, talking to Matt was really the fact that, you know, we really don't, spend enough time on culture. We talk about it. We give it lip service. Uh, but high-performing teams have a very unique culture. You're the in or out. And, and I think we're starting to understand that we can't coddle everyone to get there. And if you believe in a mission with yeah. someone, we're all going to go in the same direction. If you don't leave, go somewhere else, right? Life is short, right? For those of us that want to go book, kick ass. talks about keeping the main thing the main thing. And The main thing is the main thing. Life is short. You want to go kick ass? Let's go kick ass. But you know what? If you don't, Go do it a different way somewhere else, right? And that's part of all this. So I would have loved to seen you uh, in your prime on a football field, going for a catch or a tackle. It would have been amazing to see. All right, Matt, Friday, not me. You're talking no, Matt, no, I'm not talking me. About, no. Matt, I know There's is no, an all-star athlete. It's I'm not me, dude. <laughs> if Anyways, it's Friday, but it's hey, disrupt TV. We thank all of you we'll for watching, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Oh.